0: As Samuel Huntington stated in his book, The Clash of Civilizations, civilization and culture both refer to the overall way of life of a people, and a civilization is a culture writ large. They both involve the values, norms, institutions, and modes of thinking to which successful generations in a given society have attached primary importance. Immanuel Wallerstein explained civilization as a particular concatenation of worldview, customs, structures, and culture, both material culture and high culture, which forms some kind of historical whole and which coexists, if not always simultaneously, with other varieties of this phenomenon. The concept of civilization dates back to the Greeks, but more so the Athenians. In their reassurance of the Spartans against the Persians, Athenians stated the following For there are many and powerful considerations that forbid us to do so, even if we are inclined. First in chief, the images and dwellings of the gods burnt and laid ruins. This, we must need avenge to the utmost of our power, rather than make terms with the man who has perpetrated such deeds. Secondly, the Grecian race being of the same blood and the same language, and the temples of the gods and sacrifices in common, and our similar customs, for the Athenians to become betrayers of these would not be well. Between those two statements, actually, the second, the latter sentence, is of the most importance because of keywords, Grecian race, same blood, same language, commonalities in religious sacrifices and worshipping in, in the temple of the gods, similar customs. All of this collectively are just but of a few examples of a pillar of geopolitics, and that is the concept of civilization. Through this notion of understanding of the concept of civilization, we construct the political institutions that we have today whether that's through continual reconstruction modernization and reorganization of political institutions over time this is where the power and the necessity political geography stems from good afternoon and welcome to the pivot The Pivot is rather a podcast dedicated to promoting the realistic situational awareness of the 21st century through the lenses of geopolitics and historical development. I am the host of Elijah McDowell, and before we delve into essence, not just the essence per se, but the overall importance and mission of this podcast, I find it important to give a little information about myself so that a connection can truly be formed. I received my Bachelor of the Arts in Government and International Politics with a minor in International Security as of 2019. As of now, I am currently pursuing my Master's in Statescraft National Security Affairs with a specialization in Defense Studies. My overall academic goal is to achieve two Master's Degrees, Juris Doctorates, as well as a Professional Doctor's Degree in the subjects of International Relations, National Security, and Strategic Intelligence. My passion for political geography, global development, foreign policy, national security, etc. pretty much encompasses the majority of my life going back at least to 2008 with the election of Barack Obama. However, the inclinations to better understand the geopolitical, the global realities of the world really originates in 2010. Uh, that was about the end of my 8th grade year in freshman year of high school for me um but the reason for this is because of the publicized Arab uprisings that really began to take form as people especially in the 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 DC political analyst circles for foreign policy declared it as a regional phenomenon as it ranged from Morocco to the Persian Gulf however if you really looked at the Arab uprisings it wasn't necessarily a phenomenon It was more so underlying continual systemic social problems that stimulated either from bad policies that benefited a particular group of individuals, whether that be the king, the president, prime minister, parliament, at the expense of the majority of the countries. Or it just could be the implementation of bad-felt policies that had their turn, and in history, you look at Egypt, you look at Syria, you look at Iraq, you look at uh, these former Ba'athist republics, where the the economic, the socialistic frameworks of these political entities, they failed to do their jobs once population booms happened. Once poverty started to increase, once there was much more desires for political accountability to ensure the rising of living standards, this is when collectively you started to see the Arab uprisings. And granted, Arab uprisings didn't start precisely in 2010, but that was more so the turning point of the, the domino effect of across the region rather. That these different protests for different reasons, essentially, seemingly from an outside perspective, started to align their interests together across the region like a wildfire. A, cl- a conflagration, rather, of grievances of wanting political and economic reforms. This is when we really started to see it in 2010. And this is when I really started to see, well, this is my life's work. And that I must continue further I'm going back uh, to my earlier interests and intrigues uh, in international politics in 2011 during one of my computer classes I was assigned for the duration of the semester to find an interesting global topic on Twitter and to follow it from January to May so that I can make a PowerPoint presentation for June for a final grade on why I chose a particular topic and what is the underlying importance of said topic. Conveniently for me in March, 2011, um, March 15th to be exact, the Syrian civil war started uh, when Syrian President Bashar al-Assad ordered for the firing of live rounds on Syrian protesters. And then that dealt further into the blocking of access to the internet, as well as using the internet uh, for The usages of the government to track down particular protesters via posting of fake anti-Bashar al-Assad campaigns online, hoping that a group of people would actually gather that could eventually be arrested and do other means of crackdowns um, on anti-government, anti-Bashar al-Assad protests. At the age of 15, as I was witnessing this unfold uh, on Twitter, I came to the realization, as I said, prior, that this was my life's calling. Collectively with Syria, the Egyptian uprising, is when we saw the the stepping down of Hosni Mubarak, uh, when we saw the the successful uh, parliament race for the Muslim Brotherhood, and then eventually the election for Mohammed Morsi for just a year, um, to the eventual rise of Abdel Fattah al-Sisi uh, to the presidency um, I came to this assumption this thought rather well if it could happen there it could surely happen here or anywhere else what has come easily observable to me is this lack of understanding, appreciation an implementation of geopolitical knowledge that aligns with the demands of the 21st century. Now, unfolding in front of us, in front of our, our eyes, is the collapsing of the 1944 Britain Woods Conference, the withering of the psych Picos Agreement of 1920s, the byproduct of British and French imperialistic intentions for the carving up of the Ottoman Empire for their own personal acquisition of natural resources in the Middle East, uh, the uselessness of post-colonial african artificial borders we see that in the sahel region uh, as well as the the democratic republic of the congo for prime example uh, as well as a decline of the global american supremacy what is transpiring is a gradual yet sudden return to a multi-layered multifaceted, multipolar multi-polar international system as powers such as russia china iran turkey israel saudi arabia the east african empire and even brazil no, i'm sorry not the east african empire the east african federation uh, seeks to secure privileged spheres of influence at the expense of a declining unipolar power that being the united states so what is the need for a podcast such as this Why well, i listen to a podcast such as this it seems very you know uh a lot of political jargon and heavy history. It is a lot of history, but it's very important history to understand the continuation of political, whether that's political institutional development or political institutional decay. And what we see in the 21st century is the continuation of the the decay of political institutions that are not compatible to the new demands, the new needs of the 21st century and a 21st century that's dominated by technology and a multipolar international system. The pivot seeks to evaluate actually the how and the question of how did we get here? How did we get to where we are now? We also seek to answer the question of where? Where do we go from now? Where did we come from? This podcast shall discuss in detail the geopolitical implications of the 21st century that has been ripe with instability, insurgency, regime change, failed and failing states, the rise of Islamic and right-wing terrorism, epidemics and pandemics, as well as natural health crises, natural disasters, the weakening of the international liberal system, both political and economic. The return of authoritarianism the rise of china the return of the russian federation the rise of information and disinformation warfare resurgent nationalism and populism versus globalism and globalization what i've just named and what we are enduring is truly the physical manifestation of samuel huntington's clash of civilizations In fact, the goal here is intellectual stimulation and realistic awareness of our current stages in the present times. However, the completion of this goal can only be achieved through a comprehensive evaluation of what geopolitics refers to, the development of civilizations, the contributions of civilizations to the establishment and and perceiving of what it means to be part of a society what it means to have a social identity, a cultural identity, what it means to be individualistic or communalistic, what it means to be in a patrimonial society, an agnatic tribe, so on and so forth. We look at how geography demonstrated an advantage and disadvantage for the development of particular civilizations. But most importantly, we see how history through certain events have molded some of the perceptions the laws the privileges the freedoms and the global accessibility that's currently taken for granted the rule of law freedom of speech the rights to bear arms the notions of individualism and, and freedoms the the you know that comes from for example the the justinian codes even looking at the rise of capitalism how both the catholic church their policies towards essentially destroying the notions of kinships, uh, kinship affiliations and the hoarding of wealths and riches across Europe and how that dominated essentially the notions of individualism by bringing widows into the forefront toward converting to Christians and Catholics. This allowed the Catholics to essentially usurp what would normally be inherited lands Usurp that to establish a social and cultural apparatus and network of monasteries and, and services to provide to, to the people at the times of the reigning feudalistic hierarchy. This allowed the Catholic Church to essentially become a political entity of its own. That is the importance of understanding how exactly capitalism was able to thrive so much and Western European societies rather than Eastern European societies who maintained the power of the kinship affiliations. That is the importance of understanding political geography and civilization development. To become scholars of the world, a platform must be formed to produce extensive conversations, monologues, dialogues, and interviews that shed light on the world via understanding history, civilizations, technology, culture, and geography through that you could better understand as to how islam through the notions of military of military slavery was able to essentially become the dominant religion that it, it has become today if the mamluks the ottomans the various caliphates going back to the abbasids if they didn't establish the notions of islamic or this muslim military slavery we would not be talking or at least acknowledging Islam as the same religion that it is now. We would not be seeing it as the fastest rising religion in the world currently. That would not be the case, nor would we really understand it if we did not understand the history. This in itself contributes towards better production of policy, in foreign policy and national security and defense and in global development, even public administration, especially in diplomacy, you need to know what is acceptable and unacceptable to other countries if you wish to negotiate better agreements to foster stability and development. But because of the uber generalization of geopolitics as a pseudoscience, which means a fake science, other topics. That this podcast will touch on will be biological warfare, the easy accessibility to biological pathogens, both bacteria and viral um, to both states and non-state actors in conjunction to the furthering of globalization. We'll be talking about the geopolitics of epidemics, pandemics, and public health crises, the geopolitics of public information and cyber warfare, the geopolitics of climate change, including the the subtopics of overpopulation, waste management, water scarcity, natural resource training, and depletion. We'll be talking about geopolitical hotspots and trends, such as Libya post-2011 ousting and the death of Muammar Gaddafi, the African Sahel region where both the Muslim northern Africa breaks from the Christian Roman Catholic animism uh, dominated sub-Sahara Africa we're talking about the South China Sea we're talking about the Balkans where it is the central battleground for the Eastern Orthodox Church primarily the Russian uh, Orthodox Church um, in the Balkans and how that is potentially stirring up pro-Russian sentiments at the detriment of an expanded European Union as well as NATO. We'll be talking about the Black Sea, the geopolitical importance of the Black Sea, as it is the only area for Russian access to warm water. And how Turkey, through the ba- owning the Bafur Straits, although commercial vessels can go through, and there's a different notion for military vessels, how Turkey and Russia have a history of conflict to see who can dominate the Black Sea in addition to that we'll be talking on for a series of whether that's leadership profiles country profiles looking at the profiles of terrorist organizations to better understand the terrorist psychology would lead to the development of a terrorist the notions of insurgencies the probabilities of a successful insurgency case studies of insurgencies from around the world but mostly now we're talking about Boko Haram Qatayyip Hezbollah we're talking about the remnants of the Islamic State the Taliban al-Qaeda, so on and so forth We need to better understand their developments, their ideologies, their leadership styles, their purposes. Why are they conducting acts of terrorism against particular states? What are their political grievances? In order for us to understand that, we will be able to understand better solutions to handle insurgencies, terrorisms, and so on and so forth. With that in mind, we now move to the questions of what is geopolitics and what is its relevancy in the studying of international relations. Well from the ancient civilizations and to the old world of European empires and to the, the Nois Ordo Seclorum which is Latin for New Order of the Ages which refers to the United States. Geopolitics is a method of understanding political institutional development via the conditions provided by geography. Geopolitics is a framework to evaluate the means to an end as well as a story detailing the conditions of our current society. In fact, the power of political geography allows for observers to go to the past and rediscover the origins of institutions, identities, cultures, global perceptions that still dominate the international system today after hundreds and thousands of years. The practices The conversations and the wherewithal of understanding geopolitics originates from ancient Greece. But more notably, Aristotle, who made assumptions of neighboring empires and Greek city-states by their own climate conditions. Which allows for more understanding of political institutions, economic development, and state priorities. This allows you cultural importances, religious affiliations, religious practices their understandings and global perceptions of the world around them. For example, if a city-state was primarily an island, or let's say a chain of islands in the Aegean Sea somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea, it's most likely improbable that the political economic systems would be geared to the development of a maritime economy and a Navy-based defense. To fast forward into history, uh, we're going to go to the founder of the term Lebensraum, which is German for a living space. Uh, Adolf Hitler didn't create that, you know, that notion, but an individual by the name of Friedrich Ratzel uh, created the, the concept of Lebensraum that was eventually used by the National Socialist Party or Nazis, um, which indicated the growth of sovereign states being tantamount to biological organisms. In that the power of a country is dependent upon the land which it occupies in this in this understanding or at least in this particular school of geopolitics there's a heavy emphasis on this notion of charles darwin's natural selection but we're talking about now the actual term of geopolitics where did it come from aristotle Plato, and the two hey you know, this is the no. This word geopolitics. This is what I think of it. No, that didn't start in Greece. They didn't start in you know, France or the establishment of their continuous empire buildings. It didn't start at the establishment of the first colonies and settlements and trading posts in the Americas. The actual term geopolitics is derived from Rudolf Kjellin who was a colleague of Friedrich Ratzel. Uh, and according to Rudolf, geopolitics is the scientific understanding and observation of of sovereign states as living entities characterized by various factors including the demographics whether it's a homogeneous or heterogeneous society, the economics, the politics, social cultures and forces, the political structures as well as the geography. Within this particular realist perspective, Karl Haushofer explained that in the international community, and his notion was also influenced by the understanding of natural selection within biology and biological organisms, um, that weaker states seek defensive strategies while stronger states tend to expand for the sake of survival and civilization continuity. So essentially, this is the survival of the fittest that we see in biology, but now this has been incorporated into the understandings of how states operate. This adheres to the political understanding that the international community is inherently anarchic. Therefore, states align themselves according to maximizing national security and guaranteeing its own survival. Unfortunately, with geopolitics is rather unfortunate, though, that Through this practice of political geography, you do have the rises of pan regionalism that are based on race and climate as a means to to legitimize, as well as produce pseudo scientific explanations for why particular races are superior or inferior, why certain civilizations are superior and inferior, why certain countries should be deemed appropriate to expand and establish dominance over another group of people uh we saw that with the nazi party we saw that through spanish portuguese dutch british german um colonization uh we see that even currently through right-wing rhetoric uh, currently today uh we see that through a lot of institutional practices where one particular group of people in, in an out group political psychology that you're either part of the in group or of the out group. If you're part of the in group, you are deemed superior because of this one acquired trait or group of traits. You don't have these, these traits characteristics. You are part of the out group. Therefore, you are an enemy. You are subjected to the discrimination of the established political rulings to preserve the identities of the in-group that is where unfortunately through the pseudo scientific explanations you get the the hyper usages of eugenics that one race is far superior to another or one or a group of people from a particular climate, geographical region, is far more superior than another because of the simple climatic changes. That's not always the case. And the true case comes from well, I'll get to that. I don't want to spoil you that. So because of this pan regionalism geopolitics, unfortunately gets a bad reputation starting in the 20th century and it starts to die down post-World War II. Uh, however, in reality, the development of countries through geopolitical valuations is significantly influenced by geography, such as the topographical location of the country. The importance of geopolitics is to be able to evaluate the necessities for the progression and continuation of the state based on topographical and geographical positioning in the world while also producing effective and efficient policy to the accomplishing of grand strategies within the international community, as Halford Mackinder once stated, "Man and not nature initiates, but nature in large measures controls." This statement means that it is that it is the natural world that influences the very framework and foundations of the survival and or deaths of civilizations, of states. Of empires as time progresses. To be understanding of geopolitics means to be consciously aware and understanding of foreign policy and national security. Individuals can seek to implement a variety of public policy and craft a variety of long term goals. However, the determination of success of said goals are dependent upon the conditions and approvals granted by geographic location the dominating concepts and understandings of geopolitics from the american anglo school can be understood from Halford Mackinder's the geographical pivot of history as he sought to make a geographical formula into which you can fit any political balance through this formula it was assumed and exacerbated that the advantages and disadvantages to the construction of a powerful country, whether it's a powerful continental or maritime mm-hmm. power or a weak continental or maritime power. It's not just based on a physiographical location of a country. So this is when we're going back to the pseudoscience of pan-regionalism and climatic racial problems with the concepts of geopolitics. It's not just the physiographical location of the country. But it's also the development and implementation of available technology to ensure the continual growth and expansion of the state influences. So that they can potentially overcome the geographical hindrances that otherwise prohibit the growths of empires and modern superpowers. This fully explains the necessity to get to India by other means as the growth of the Ottoman Empire completely restricted the Europeans an easier route to India. What the Ottoman Empire did essentially was they put extreme taxes on trading goods that went through the Ottoman Empire to get to Europe. You know, as they say, you know the middleman always has to make its money. Well, in order to sustain the continually at war empire. The Ottoman Empire implemented heavy taxes onto goods that went through um, their lands. Well, the Europeans wanted to find an an alternative to that. And that was was the best way to get to the spice trade. Well, it wasn't by land because at that rate you'd have to go through the Ottoman Empire. So you had to go by boat. Portugal was the first to go around Africa. Spain figured well, if I just keep going west, I'll eventually hit India, but that wasn't the case. But however, once they got around Africa and finally got to India, the, the dominant Ottoman Empire's monopoly on export trading across the Middle East into Europe from the Far East started to systematically over the years decrease as portuguese maritime naval ships would begin trade route disruption operations as well as the establishment of trading posts to go around the ottomans to beat the other european powers and to ensure um, a monopoly over trade routes That is the importance of not just the physiographical location, but also the acquiring of technology to be able to develop these maritime strategies to sustain supply lines to industrialize as we saw with great britain on the leading the industrial revolution and then eventually germany and france right behind uh, london with the implementation of you know dry docks um, and deep water navigation systems the successful or unsuccessful crafting and implementation of technology to overcome geographical difficulties also influences the conditions of pursuing growth of national power, perceptions of and solutions toward threats to national security, and plausibility for state expansions. And with this, we begin to see the variety of understanding geopolitics, the importance of geopolitics the usages of geopolitics, and the various theories of geopolitics that have catapulted the creation, as well as the destruction of empires and civilizations. With this introductory glimpse of geopolitics, our next episode will be fully dedicated toward further analysis and conversation on the history on these different geopolitics, uh, the, the geopolitical theories, as well as the perceptions of the world. By discussing the different pioneers of international geopolitics, including the usage of the pseudoscience as a means to legitimize the racial superiority and promotion of colonialism via determin- via determination of which civilizations and cultures are superior and others are inferior, we can effectively and correctly review the current international community, global perceptions of individuals, the importance of identity, the the growing quote unquote war between the desires of globalization and borderless countries, in addition to nationalism, preservation of identity, ethno-nationalism, religio-nationalism, so on and so forth. But doing this, we can review our current international community and then provide solutions toward our growing geopolitical fault lines. It's important to understand that we cannot know of ourselves and our country without knowing the developments, the identities, the mores, and the stories of others. Although it is simply impossible to possess all the knowledge of all the people and civilizations that have ever lived, it is pertinent and essential to garner awareness of of the perceptions and the geographical differences to ensure the construction of better policies, both domestic and abroad. And with that being said. I welcome you all to the Geographical Pivot Podcast, where we will in-depth discuss history, civilization, identity, and the 21st century as it ought to be observed and explained. Until next time.